Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. I am your host, Shay Sparks, Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International, where we spark leaders in transition who are unclear, go from fear to fired up about their life and business. And if you wish to talk more in depth about coaching, heart and mind fitness, brainstorming for your business, podcasting, and or veteran resources, connect with me, Shay, today at the Calendly link in the show notes on your podcast platform. And today, our special guest is my friend, my mentor, and he is amazing and incredible, Vincent Pluglisi. Vincent, welcome to the show. What's up, Shay? How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. I am too. And we, it's so funny to think about, I was thinking this morning before we jumped on, like we met by chance at a podcast convention back in 2019. Yep. And I, now I'm part of your TLF total life freedom community. And I told your wife this story, but I don't think I've ever told you. So I'm going to share it with you now. So you were a speaker at podcast movement at the like first timers room, right? And I was so impressed by what you had to say, because you were like the meet, the networking, the best place is to connect in the hallway. And then at some point in your speech, you literally were like, oh, I forgot what I was saying. And you were so just so transparent about it. I was like, oh, I'm going to be meeting him sometime this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) And then I think it was like around the second to the last day or the last day that we actually ran into each other in the hallway. And I was like, yeah, I want to be a part of what you're doing because you're just so genuine. (laughs) It's funny because I think back on that because that you must have been in the morning session because we did too. And I completely lost it. I completely forgot where I was going. I started getting nervous. I think I even said like, I'm blowing it up here. Like, I remember even saying that out loud. And I remember saying to Ken Carfagno later, like, I totally just blew it. He goes, no, it was like just a little bit. But when you're on stage and something like that oh, happens, yeah. it feels like it's a lifetime. Well, and, and it t- time seems like it's like five, six minutes of silence. And it was like, no, it was like maybe three seconds at the yeah. most. <laughs> yeah. But you were, you handled it with such grace and ease. I was like, oh gosh, I want to know this guy. He's just down uh- to earth. I'll tell you one more funny story about that. And maybe yeah. I just make a habit of this. Maybe this is just going to help my speaking career. This happened to me again about a year ago at a conference that I was speaking at. And I get emotional when I'm talking about some of the stories. So it's not, me too. it's not cookie cutter. Got in this moment early on in this speech and it was half emotion and half me getting a little ahead of myself because I was, just, and I had one of those moments and it's only happened like two times on stage, the time that you saw it and this time. And I stopped and I paused and I really just stopped to kind of, to kind of control myself, to get it all together. But the audience thought I I got really emotional, which I didn't at that moment, but it was an emotional (laughs) moment. And they all started giving me this standing ovation, like this ovation, they're all clapping. And I'm like, oh, they're really supportive. They know that I'm nervous, right? No, it wasn't that they just felt that I was so like emotional in the moment that they just all started. And all throughout the conference later on, people like, that was amazing. I had to tell them like, no, I wasn't really emotional at that moment. I was, I just kind of lost my spot. I didn't know where I was at. I just needed to take a a moment to think for a second. And I look back, I was like, it's so funny how those screw ups and those moments often are so memorable. But when you have a speaker that is so polished, sometimes it's hard to connect sometimes. So just be yourself. Yes. And it's funny. I was actually at a NSA National Speakers Association meeting recently. And one of the speakers was almost as if like you could 
like the puns and the jokes are in the same place. And it's like, it's, you've done this a million times. It's not even really funny anymore. Yep. And I, I mean, I'm sure the audience thinks it's funny, but I'm sitting there like, I'm not connecting with you. So you're so spot on by that. That's the danger sometimes of becoming too, too calculated, too pristine with everything, right? You have to have everything so straight in your speech and every word and every nuance and every move and every joke where we all connect with real. That's what we connect with. That's what we like and we like to see. And I think it's so easy now to pretend authenticity. Yeah. Here's a story of me when I lost everything, but it's so calculated that it almost feels phony after a while. That's probably my biggest fear mm. is being inauthentic. So the, those stories of messing up on stage, is like, as long as you can keep going, nobody's looking for perfection. They're looking for real. And I don't worry about it. Agreed. Agreed. And clearly we just jumped right in. So before we go any further, we'll tell the people about who you are. So Vincent Pluglisi is most importantly, a husband and father to three sons and him and his family have just recently in the last year moved to Florida where they homeschool their children through interest-based learning. And he is the author of the new non-bestselling book of the right. wealth of connection and also freelance to freedom as well as a keynote speaker like we were just talking about he is the owner of the total life freedom mastermind community which i have the privilege and honor to be a part of which helps entrepreneurs and those looking to become entre- looking to become entrepreneurs build a life of time money and location freedom and he is the host of the total life freedom podcast And you're a former guest of myself, and that is on the vintage series of your previous episode. So our listeners will have to go back and check that out to see where you were. So now we can find out where are you now? Yeah. Yeah. So Vincent, where are you now? What are are you, what has changed since we last spoke in 2000, back in the fall of 2019? It's crazy, right? That was a whole different world. Right. look back. Yeah. And we went on a three-month road trip at the beginning of 2000, went around Florida and Orange Beach, Alabama, to, then to South Carolina. And we did that every winter because we can work from anywhere and we homeschool. People go, where do your kids go to school? We say everywhere. Life is school. Seven o'clock at night on a Saturday is just as much school as seven o'clock in the morning on Monday or 12 in the afternoon. It doesn't matter. It's calculated around what are you interested in? How are we learning? How are we growing? And we live that way with our family. So we were traveling all around. So not long after we talked, we went from here to there, then we pulled into South Carolina and the world was normal. And then we pulled out a month later and the world was not normal. Right, right. And I thought, even with our business, I remember when it all came down, March 11th, March 12th, I remember saying to Elizabeth, like, be ready because we're going to get hit. Like everybody's going to get hit right now. Business people are going to drop off. Blah, blah. And what we had was the opposite. Mm. We had people in community building together and working together in, in our business, in our online community and mastermind, where it's like, well, hey, the ones that weren't building businesses online for multiple streams of income started realizing, wait, my brick and mortar, one income stream mm-hmm. thing is dangerous now when it was always so safe, where it was yeah. like, wait, how do you build multiple streams of income around one thing? So that actually increased when we were totally expecting it to decrease and we were prepared for it. The one downside was the speaking side of it was really at that moment where we were ready to kick mm. it off and get, get going with it. And that whole industry just shut down. Sure. So within that time, I started writing a book because I, and I had been writing a little bit and that's where the world has been for me is really deep into that because the title kept changing around and mm-hmm. it's so in line with the title of your podcast mm-hmm. and the message of your podcast. 
Yes. But it, but the title didn't recognize it. It wasn't, there were all these, I'm not going to go bore you with all the different titles, but essentially I was driving to a speech in Atlanta, outside of Atlanta last year. And I said, I only need two things from this trip. I need to give a great keynote. I need to come back with the title of this stinking book that's driving me crazy. <laughs> because the book was it. written already. I just didn't have the title. And my first book was the opposite. I had a title that I built off and wrote it all around. This was the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. And I was driving, I was by myself and just thinking and quiet and kept the radio off and kept the phone, not talking to anybody. And it just hit me like that. It was like the wealth of connection. Yeah. And I like the play on words. Like there's wealth that comes from connection, but connection brings wealth, not just in your life and your friendships, but that's the main part of it. But networking and relationships build out how you build wealth in real time. And I was like, wait, we can play on words with that. And by the time I got something to eat, I solidified it. I called a bunch of friends. They all confirmed, yes, they like it. And that was it. So it's been heavy on that. And literally the book just published just a couple, just a week ago. And that's been my life in so many ways in terms of- I love it. I love it. I love it. And I just want to do a sidebar on my own processing for writing the book. So I was in the shower one day, because I think you have so much clarity when you're in the shower, right? And I just, this phrase popped into my head, how to get your voice back. And I was like, I don't know what that is, but I need to write it down. And two years later, I wrote my book and I was like, what am I going to call it? And I had called it something else. And then all of a sudden I remembered that I had written that down somewhere and I went back to find that piece of paper. Thank God I found it. And that's what it was. And I was like, oh, that totally aligns with what this is. The same thing with the name of the podcast. The name of the podcast came years before I knew what it was. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And so I just want to take a moment for the listeners. If you're hearing little nudges or little intuitions or things like that, take notes because the universe, God, I believe in God is telling you something. See, I call it the future list. It's been a savior for me because so often people are like, oh, I want to do this, but I don't have enough time. Or they're going to rush it through. or They're going to do a subpar effort because they don't want to lose it. But what I do is, okay, the future list is this book. Everything I've done, the mastermind community has all been stuff that I wasn't quite ready for yet. Had too much stuff going on. It wasn't developed, but I knew it was real because I couldn't get it out of my head. So what I do is I have this list where all my future ideas go towards that are real. And I, I will assess that like once a month, I'll go through like, is that still viable? But everything I've ever done of success started with the future list, meaning I wasn't able to do it the moment or the month that I thought about it. I had to wrap up other stuff or reduce some of that other stuff to make time for it. But I think so many times people go, I'm going to go write a book. I'm going to start today. And then they're scrambling with a bunch of other stuff and their mind's not there. Right. And then they put it out there or they put it out there kind of okay. And they don't even enjoy it. They're not proud of it. Well, and I, like you said, you had all of a sudden, you now you had time where you weren't really planning on taking that time. So here you use the opportunity instead of looking at it as a hindrance, you chose to take advantage of it. So good for you for doing that. And we have things on the future list right now because every new opportunity brings more opportunities, right? So everybody's like, oh, you can do a journal with this. You could do, I'm like, yeah, I can. Not doing it now because I love my peace. I love being with my kids and my wife. I'm not adding stress there. I'm going to build this out, but- that's futureless stuff, meaning as I go through this and as I get reviews back for the book or feedback, all those little nuggets and thoughts and, and things that matter to people go into that future list for those other products that it might be next February when mm-hmm. everything slows down. Now we build that out, but it's done without pressure. It's done without stress and it's done on the timeline that we want to do it. 
Well, I have to say, I love the thought and the care and the stories, the really, the beautiful way you written the stories inside the book. There was a couple of them that I found myself literally crying. Mm. I was like, oh my God, this is such meaningful stuff that you are sharing. And I think a lot of times when we write books, we come from a point of view of what's the point. And mm. yours was really about weaving in the, your life experiences and the stories of different people. One in particular about shooting the Pope. I just was <laughs> laughing and crying at the same time. I'm like, oh my God, no. Sound, it sounds worse than it was, right? Yeah, right. Like- exactly. Exactly. So if you're curious about what that means, you'll have definitely have to get his book to read more. And you have, you cover so many different things. There's five different pillars to your wealth of connection. So do, would yep. you care to share about that? Yeah, well, I'll go backwards because what I found in my teaching and my coaching is so many people struggled consistently and they had good ideas. I mean, how could it be that these people have a great topic and they have, because somebody's like, oh, I've got this story for this book or this podcast. How is it they could have all these things and then they launch it and they get three reviews and their mom buys it and a month later, nobody else buys it and then it's dead in the water. They've lost their momentum. It's just, that's a book, but that could be a lot of businesses too, right? Yeah. And, and they lost momentum and then they're not excited about it anymore. And then they say, well, it doesn't work or you can't do this. And I started studying this and I'm like, it's not the creation that was the problem. They can write the book or they can build the business. What happened was they would do this, but nobody cared. And that was my shoot the Pope story. I wanted this career so badly as a photographer. Mm-hmm. Nobody cared. I had no connections. Nobody was opening up doors for me because I never cared about anybody else except myself. It's the way it was. For the most part, That's I was focused on myself. So I was just like everybody else, meaning I'm going to start this thing. It's going to crush it. Does anybody care? Does anybody care about you? And that's where it came down to. So mm-hmm. what I realized was going backwards was it's not about the creation because when you create the thing and nobody cares, then they go, well, I need to collaborate. I need to get on Shay's podcast. And then you they contact you and you go, I don't even know who you are. Like, I love having great guests, but you're now pitching me without any relationship. And the chances of that happening are very slim, right? I'm sure you get unsolicited emails. I want to be on your show. Yes. And you're like, I don't even know you. So I'm not going to bring you to my audience. Trust me. So then collaboration doesn't work. So then they realize I got to connect with these people, but they do that, but they do it often. And I was this in a very selfish way. How do I connect to find out what I'm going to get from this, right? Mm. You scratch my back. I scratch yours type of thing. A terrible way of doing business but we're taught to do it this way. Just figure out what your goals are and go get it and go get on those things. Nobody wants to help you when you do that, but so many people do that. So the connection doesn't work, but then they start realizing my character is off. Hopefully they realize that if they're still in the game, they're not curious about what people, what's going on in people's lives. They don't ask questions. They're not curious about what their potential clients need. They're just curious about their bottom line, their numbers. So started realizing that and they started realizing all their goals were about themselves these selfish goals, but they're not generous goals. So what I did was I wrapped it all and I twisted it backwards. And I said, we're going to start with character first and go through that. Your generous goals are more valuable than your selfish goals Mm -hmm. and walking through that and how to develop those. So we go from character to curiosity, which is a huge part. I have a story in there about the mafia, about an encounter that I had with the mafia when I was 15. Mm -hmm. This guy who I didn't know, who I was frightened of, asked me three questions. All I knew was his first name. Didn't say anything about himself. Just asked me three questions. And by those, by the answers to those three questions gave me one of the greatest experiences of my childhood. Mm -hmm. Opened up a door for me that never would have happened. Curiosity. But so many people give statements instead of questions. Yes. Robert Kiyosaki said, yeah, Kiyosaki Mm -hmm. says, statements close minds, questions open minds. 
Yes. And the whole idea of when you ask the questions, you control the conversation. Most people don't want to do that. They want to just talk, especially now after COVID, people's social skills are so much worse. They can't read the room. They don't know when people are kind of glazing over. So when you lack curiosity and character, your foundation is rough, meaning you're never going to form those great connections because people are going to see through you eventually. But when you have good character, when you have good curiosity, I want to connect with you. I want a deeper relationship. Most people do. When you can do that, when you have those three things in place, now the collaboration happens. This is where the fun stuff starts happening, meaning you and I get to be on a podcast together. You help me, I help you, but we're doing it for the benefit of one one another. We've trusted each other to where somebody in your audience is going to be like, hey, I think he's kind of cool. I might check out his book, right? And then I share yours and be like, oh, who is Shay? What is she working on? That's awesome. We trust each other, the collaboration. And then when you can have those four things in place and then you go create something or you go put something out in the world, the chances of it going big and blowing up and being successful are so much better because you have all these people behind you that know, like, and trust you and you've connected and you've collaborated and they want to share your message, but it never happens the other way around by building something and then just pushing it on people. So that's kind of what the premise of what the book is about. And I love, I love it. I love it. And I love that you, I have a quote that I want to read because I just, I just felt like it hit home on so many levels that people want, they're just going to learn from it and kind of see where your heart is. And so you go on to write, nobody tells you this in school, but when you chase selfish goals, then attain them, emptiness follows. An emptiness that is hard to explain. And you never see the pain coming because you are too wrapped up in yourself to understand. So did you hit an emptiness? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm getting I get chills when I hear that because I'm like, I don't usually read my own writing except when I'm editing it. Yeah. But the way you just said that back, like I remember writing that. Yeah. And not only do I remember writing it, but I remember feeling it many times because that was me. Yeah. This is not theory. This book is me learning from my mistakes. If you read my book, you will notice that I'm in the first two parts a lot, and I'm not in the third through fifth part a lot. Mm-hmm. Meaning the first two parts of the mistakes that I made. And the lessons that I learned through that three through five connection, collaboration, and creation. Those are stories that I learned from other people on how to do it right. Mm -hmm. It's not celebrating me, but I will tell you my mistakes. So right there was me and it was my career as a photographer and other things as well. But I was so driven on my success that, you know, there was this ego or there was this insecurity. I think it's a combination of both that I knew when I got there, I will be that person. I'll be the one that I never was before when people rejected me or made fun of me or didn't believe in me. And then when I get that thing, I'll be able to show them, look what I did. And I did that. And what happened was those people didn't care anyway. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter. Didn't prove any, didn't prove anything. And the other thing was the connections I had were shallow, meaning people are around because they love the stories and they love the access that I had. And they love what I got to be around and all the celebrity stories and sports. They loved all that but nobody liked it for me. Nobody said, you're a good person. No, it wasn't that it was, I was an entertaining person mm-hmm. and I got there and I was empty. I was, com- I was like, is this what it's all about? Mm-hmm. And I remember we interviewed Deion Sanders who used to be yep. NFL hall of fame football player and his whole dream. And this didn't even go in the book and it could have, but his whole dream was to win the Super Bowl. He fought his entire career to do that. And then he made it on the 49ers and he was in Miami playing the, and they won. They beat the chargers, win the Super Bowl. And he said to us, I sat in the locker room that night and I looked around and I said, that's it. 
That's it. Yes. That, that this is what it is. Everything I saw is this. He got so depressed from it yes. that he went back to Cincinnati in the offseason and he almost committed suicide jumping off of a bridge in the offseason. Wow. Wow. And we've heard so many stories of like striving for this and then emptiness. And I got to be in that world a lot. There's a lot of loneliness. And it's like, is that what it's about? Is it about achieving the things for ourselves and then being so alone that nobody really even cares? But at the same time, there are people doing great stuff that are being celebrated and they have great friendships and people are supporting them. And I just did a deep study on what was the difference between the two. Yes. And the one had me and Deion Sanders, not to compare myself with him, right? But we had selfish goals. It was about me. The rest of the people, the people that I looked at, I said, why is it that these people just get praised and loved and supported for who they are? And it simply was, with more and more research, they had generous goals, meaning their goals weren't just about them. Sure, they were a part of it, but it was, how can I help these people out? How can I be a support? How can I connect these people together? How can, what can I do to bring the people in their lives up? And what happened was, as they did that, their relationships and their network got stronger. And so it wasn't like selfless because they were doing these things and they were supporting the people around them. Well, as their network got better, they got better because the people around you are getting better. And now you're getting referrals and you're getting connections back as well without even trying. And that's what happened to them. And that's when I realized it's generous goals over selfish goals, meaning there's nothing wrong with wanting that great house or that boat or whatever, but you're, that can't be at the top. Bob right. Berg says it really well. How to make money is not a bad question. Mm -hmm. It's just a bad first question. Yes. And the first question should be, how are we doing the things that we do to support others? And then from there, we're going to get all the things that we need. So that was a big eye-opener for me. Yes, I agreed. I, I, I love what you said about this emptiness when it's you have selfish goals. I work with a lot of veterans. And when they're in transition, they're coming out of something that they've had a goal. And it was not selfish, right? It was for the country. And now they're like, okay, now what do you want to do? And they almost have to be selfish. And yeah. yet there's this emptiness because they, they don't have that title anymore. Not in the military, yeah. I think, and it's kind of an identity crisis. So a lot of times wow. when people are so attached to their title, then when that things change, like you were like, I'm a photographer. Now what? Yep. When you're going through life and you're like, now what is this all there is? And you're so attached to the one thing, you forget that, oh, I'm so much more than this. Like your thing about Deion Sanders, his was, I want to be a Super Bowl winner. And then it was like, well, now what? And it's not about the what, right? It's about who you are. But the interesting thing, as I look back on it, and that's the beautiful thing about writing a book is once you write it, you're still learning. Yeah. Andy Andrews said, I learned more about The Traveler's Gift, which is the most successful <laughs> book, after I wrote it, mm -hmm. because people keep asking questions and you do interviews. And what I thought about Sanders was this, there's a lot of people that win the Super Bowl and it's absolutely fulfilling. It's absolutely amazing. And I think it's because they're team players. Mm -hmm. I think it's because the goal wasn't them winning a Super Bowl. It was how do we win as a team? And I was around Tom Brady a lot. And I saw that literally people would walk into the room and they'd never meet him before. And he's a, they're a new player. He'd say, hi, I'm Tom. He would introduce himself. Mm. He always made it around the team. And I think that's why he probably didn't have the same feeling. I don't know that. I didn't talk to him about it. But yeah. there's people that get a tremendous amount of fulfillment for their life because I believe they did it together. And that was mm. their purpose. When you do it for yourself, you're sitting there in the locker room. You don't really celebrate with your teammates because it's about you. And I think that's, a, it seems so simple but I think it's a big change in the happiness in the work that we do and that it brings us. 
Oh, I agree with you. And I think it's also about attachment. Oftentimes when we're working towards a goal, we're so focused on the goal. We forget that all of this amazing things, opportunity is happening on the sidelines, right? Yep. So for an example, like winning the Super Bowl, we get so attached to winning the Super Bowl, but we forgot to have a laugh. We forgot mm-hmm. to build that teamwork. We forgot to like, oh my gosh, this is so feel the feelings of yeah. anticipation of here. We're about to go. We're about to run out on the field. I mean, yeah, it's so different when I think when we get there's an attachment issue to goals when you said the selfish goals. And I think that's where the selfishness comes from is when we get so attached to that. See, I find this so fascinating because it really is the difference between happiness and sadness, but it's still, you're still on the same path yeah. as other people. And just the older I get in the way that we're teaching our kids, it's like, I don't want them to go through. I mean, in some ways you do, cause you want them to learn, but I want them to learn from some of the mistakes that I made. And I want other people to learn from it as well, because it really is sad to get what you really want and then realize I'm not even happy once I got there. Mm. So take us back to that time when you were a photographer and you were hitting that emptiness feeling. What were you thinking? What were you feeling? What was happening in your world? Yeah, it was one of those things where it's like, and I say in the book, it's like the dog chasing the tail, right? It's so exciting. We're all chasing that tail and they catch it. And if you've ever seen it, a dog just stands there and just stares. It doesn't know what to do. It caught the tail. And it's like, now what? And I think that's what I and a lot of other people felt like. For me, it was like, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. To really ask that. I never asked that before because it was always the thrill of the next chase, the next Mm -hmm. assignment, the next picture. And I had to ask myself, why am I even doing this? And I realized I was doing it just for myself. I was doing it for the accolades. I was doing it to fill an ego that was bruised or was insecure. That's why I was doing it. Because I knew that if I shot a really great picture of Sidney Crosby winning the Stanley Cup, or this celebrity here, I would get attention from it. And finally it was like, no. And so I had to say, this is not why we're doing it. And so I literally was at a wedding because we would photograph weddings. That was a big part of the income that we made. And so, so there's the DJ sitting right next to me and he's struggling with his business. So I'm sitting there for an hour, we're eating dinner and I'm going through everything, what he can do, what he can try, this and that. I'm not getting paid for it. I'm not getting any recognition for it. It's in this dingy little room before we go out to the reception. And he got up and he was like, oh my goodness, that was so helpful. And he had to go and turn the music back on. And he goes, I wish I can keep doing this. And I remember saying, I wish I could too. And I, it's the first time in my career ever, I was like, I don't want to go back out there. I don't want to go shoot. Yeah. I want to keep sitting with him. And it was in that moment that I realized if I could do this, if I can have conversations with people that actually change their life and make them better, that's the collaborative effort. And that's the connection that I love because in, when you're a photographer, you're behind the camera. Right. There's very little interaction. It didn't fit with my personality, even though I got good at it. So when I, you keep growing. So I learned that's what, so that's the career I went to build. It started with coaching It started with one-on-one coaching. And I got so much satisfaction from it because it wasn't about me. It was about the fact that when we got off the phone or we got off meeting in person, their lives were changed. And that was really the shift that went from, doing that to doing the coaching to eventually the mastermind and community and speaking and things that are outwardly focused, using my skills and interests to help other people do that. I never did that before that moment. Well, I love it because I think a lot of times we have certain skills that we have and we don't even realize we have them. I was doing the same thing in my former career as a hairstylist, I'm having these amazing conversations with people and sharing the things that I'm learning, giving them ideas on what to do for their life. 
And I would get feedback, like you should be a coach. You should be a, an author. You should write a book. You should have a podcast. And finally I was like, oh, well, maybe you're right. <laughs> and so when I got to thinking like, what is it that I love about my career? And the thing I love the most wasn't about the physical part of doing hair. I could do that in my sleep. Plus my body was breaking down at this point. And I was like, but I love the actual interaction. I love mm. making a difference and making a positive difference in other people's lives. And to have that realization though, because you might never figure that out because right. you might've said, I'm a hairdresser. I'm a hairdresser. This is what I do. But it takes a lot of courage to say there's misalignment here. Meaning I have these areas that I really like doing, but I'm doing it in a way that I don't want to be spending my day doing it. And to change the way you changed to build it is really impressive. And I think it's a real inspiration to say, mm. oh, to the people that feel like they're stuck, no, you can make a shift and then tweak it. more. I consider it's like going to the eye doctor. You go to the eye doctor and they go, which one looks right. sharper? Right. The right or the left? Like, okay, the R, and you keep going through that. I feel like life is always that. I feel mm. like we're always going through the eye doctor, always reevaluating. And you did that right there. You basically said, I can stick with this successful career and keep doing it and still have conversations, but not really do it for a living, hair's the living, yeah. or say, no, this is not what I'm going to do forever. I'm going to actually do that right eye, left eye thing. Realize the left eye is too out of focus. We're going to leave that one behind and we're going to go towards things that are sharper. And I mean, kudos to you because it's been an amazing journey watching you. Well, thank you. And it's it's never been a, a fast journey. I think when you do things fast, they fizzle out quickly. Yeah. And when you are going along for the opportunity and the first step basically before the next step shows up, right. Instead of focusing on the goal, <laughs> you yep. just focus on the journey. Then I just feel like there's so many doors that open and so many opportunities and I'm learning everything along the way rather than just bypassing it all. It's just so much more fun that way. John Rulin taught me this and I wrote about it. I'm not even sure if you saw this part because it was a new addition to the book. He talked about the five-year launch. He mm. wrote Giftology. It's six years old now. And he was friends with Hal Elrod, his friends with Hal Elrod, who wrote The Miracle mm -hmm. Morning. And Hal told him that The Miracle Morning didn't pick up steam until about the fifth year. Yeah. It is now the best-selling, from what I just heard, is now the best-selling independently published book, like self-published book in history. Wow, that's awesome. It makes, from what I heard, over a million dollars a year, that book, right? But it took five years to get started. So to what you're saying, the long game, that was our approach, even with this book launch, because everybody focuses on the launch, like yeah. launch there. Let's get everybody to buy it. Let's get everybody to do it. Let's become best-selling author. And then they, oh, yeah. they Peter. <laughs> so literally you saw it on the cover yeah. of my book. It says non-best-selling author, because I'm so tired of it because everybody's a best-selling author. Everybody manipulates the system. I can talk to you for hours about all the manipulation that goes mm. on there. I don't want to do anything, but what I did want to do was a five-year launch, meaning yeah. May 2nd, 2022 was just a day. May 2nd, 2027 is when we're going to celebrate. Meaning I need to put the work in every day, every week for five years to make this. If I'm going to have the same type of thing and it takes all the pressure off, like you just said, yeah. you get to just do the work and learn it. But it also keeps me focused to say, don't stop working on this. You didn't do anything by publishing a book. You just started the marathon. You're yes. in New York City and the gun just sounded. You just ran out and you don't celebrate 10 feet into a marathon no right. you run yeah and you run and that's so that's the focus for me to say every week you're going to do a handful of podcast interviews you're going to write blog posts you're going to do your own podcast and stories and you're going to talk about it 
because you believe in this so much and it's a long game to do it. And it really is such a fun way to do it because the goal is way in the future, but you got to do the work now and consistently. Which honestly, that's kind of brings the great segue to my next question. So if someone's listening and they're like, Vincent, I mean, that's great for you. Good job. Congratulations. You shifted from this to the other. So what advice would you have for someone that's going, I don't even know where to start? Well, I would start by not asking a snarky question to begin with, because it shows that you don't trust, you don't trust the work that was been done. And I hear it a lot, right? I yeah. hear the whole, yeah. well, must be nice to do that. You know, yeah. you do that must be nice. I have a relative that says that a lot and it drives me crazy because it's so jealous and it's mm. so basically saying you're just fortunate. I'm not. And it's already given yourself an excuse to why you can't do it. And to me, it starts with an attitude adjustment. It really just does because the jealousy of others is going to lead to less connection. Like the book is called The Wealth of Connection. When you're jealous of others, when you wish, I'm not saying they do this, but you kind of wish that people don't succeed because it makes you look better. That's what happens a lot of times. It's like the first thing, because I had that, a lot of competitive fire. Yeah. And even in this, I wrote, do you compete or do you collaborate? Are you right. looking to beat people or are you looking to work together with people? Yes. And so for me, when somebody comes to me with that, it really comes down. Here's how I always start. Every time I get there and I start getting in that negative mode or that self-depreciation or jealous, I, it, that comes down to my own insecurities every single time. Yes. So what I do is my go-to, which is my hour of giving. And I wrote about this, which is basically every day I spend at least one hour doing things that have nothing to do with myself, meaning sending you a message sending a thank you card, connecting two people together, leaving a review. I'm telling you, if you're lost and you start with that, it's the one thing you do. First of all, you're going to feel better about yourself to begin with, which is most important. You're going to feel better. But now you're going to start establishing or even reestablishing relationships. I can tell you, I rarely ever even ask about being on podcasts or media because I do the hour of giving with no expectations that what happens is invariably they say, hey, I want to have you on my podcast. It happens a handful of times a week. And I'm not asking them for anything. I'm introducing them to a guest that could be good for their show, or I'm leaving them a review. I'm just giving them some support. That alone is the biggest thing that has built our business that more than anything. More than advertising, anything else is the hour of giving that sometimes is two or three hours of giving. And building those relationships and then saying, hey, Jay, oh, this person would be great for your show. And then wanting to connect. When you do that on a consistent basis, it gets rid of the jealousy. It gets rid of the envy and it actually gets you building a network and it, and feeling better and building connections around you. So that's where I always start when everybody says that. Well, what do you, I love that. Now it brings me to my next question of, so what do you say to people when they say, well, you do all that for free? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you just give for free? Tell me, there's my answer to that. I'll ask you, what's your favorite band or artist or musician? Mandisa. Okay. They're, they're, now I'm not familiar with the She's music. She's a Christian, contemporary Christian artist. Gotcha. I would imagine that her first album, she did not get paid to start writing that first song. I would bet that she learned to sing, play guitar, whatever it is, and did it for free. And played for her family or played for her friends or recorded for free. Everybody that you talk to that started starts for free. Business People do not want to tell you this because like charge what you're worth. I get so annoyed with all of it. Charge what you're worth. Well, how do you start? How do you start charging with your, what you're worth when nobody cares? First of all, you've not built up any trust. You're not good enough yet. My entire photography career 
for the first six years, I made $20,000 combined. Combined $20,000. Why? Because I needed to learn how to become a photographer and I needed to learn how to connect with people. I needed relationships. So I would do whatever it took. Now, some people can say it's terrible advice. You've got to hone your craft. And when you start thinking about artists and you start thinking about the real stories, how they started, there's all these free stories in there. Now, I'm not saying get taken advantage of. I'm not saying go let somebody abuse you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying for your own work and for your own art, you need to do that. You, I do a podcast daily. It's free. You can listen to it for free. I do that because when you give first, you build trust. That's the only way to build trust. It's, if I said to everybody, hey, pay me for my podcast in the very beginning, how many people are going to pay? One. My mom, maybe, right in the very <laughs> beginning. Am I going to build an audience with that? Am I going to build trust with that? No. I'm going to build it by putting high quality content out there. And people say, you need to listen to this. And then they share it. Then you ask them to share it. And it goes on from there. So I just, I'm a grassroots person. I am a build it the right way person. So I don't, I had all the excuses. I had all the frustration. And every single time I look back on every bit of our business, even coaching, which started for free, which turns into everything more lucrative. It's just, it seems it's worked every single time. So I can't argue with it myself. <laughs> I completely agree with you. In fact, it brings me back to what you said about Bob Berg. His go-giver is literally the law of reciprocity. When you give, you will receive back. It might not be in the same way, shape, or form, but it will come back to you somehow. So I'll give you a perfect, I'll give you a perfect example that just happened this week. Yeah. Well, when I was starting my photography career 27 years ago, I was working at a photo lab. Right. Now, I wasn't working for free, but I was working a different job. For, I was doing my photography for free, but I was printing out pictures of this photo lab back when they had photo labs and film back 18,000 years ago. <laughs> and so I was struggling. I knew nobody. I wasn't any good. I had no connections and I was trying to make it. I was exactly where that person is that you just kind of mentioned mm -hmm. when they asked that question. Yeah. And there was one client. His name was Fred Klein. He came in. He was a very, he was an attorney, very well off attorney, did very well and always bought tons of film and printed and everything you could tell like that guy's doing well but he always took an interest in me he had that curiosity mm -hmm. always asked questions how i was doing and at one point i was like i'm frustrated because i don't know what to do and he said to me he goes well he goes get a portfolio together my friend's name is shelly finkel he's actually the manager for mike tyson this is when mike tyson was champion mm -hmm. of the world he said if you can get me a portfolio i'll bring it to shelly and we'll see what he can do i'm like how cool is that, right? Connecting the yeah. unconnected yeah. with no expectations and there's nothing I could do for him. Fred Klein was the perfect example of this. So I scrambled to get my portfolio together. I gave it to him. He brought it to, Shelly Finkel brought it to Sports Illustrated. My portfolio in the beginning days was actually inside of the biggest magazine, sports magazine in the world, which is my dream job. And then he comes back two weeks later with the portfolio and says, they said you show promise, but you're just a beginner. They can't do anything with you. So I was like crushed. I was like, oh. So like two weeks later, he comes back in and I'm complaining and I'm nothing's happening. And I said to him, I said, I'm such a loser for working here. Mm -hmm. I was like 23 at this point. All of my friends are graduating college and he's walking out the door and he says, he goes, you are not a loser for working here. You're doing what you need to do. And then he stopped. He said, but if you're still working here in five years, you're a loser. And he left. And I never saw him again because I quit the job. I said, I'm not going to be here. So I quit the job. I started going to games for free, I, not only working for free, buying tickets to go to Yankees and Mets games to sneak to the front row to ask the photographers questions about yeah. what kind of film they use. That's nice. literally how my career started for months nice. at a time. Well, that turned into a free internship where mm -hmm. I was called the Vintern. That was my nickname. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 
And then I got hired and got to minimum wage. So then they started calling me, then they started calling me minimum wage. That was, so there was a nickname (laughs) with everything. Right. But that led to me getting hockey cards printed. Mm. I mean, tops cards, then magazines, and then internship at Newsday in New York, the sixth largest paper, still only making $25 a day at Mm. that point. But that led to me getting into Ohio University, winning the biggest award in the world in photography, in sports photography, and going on from there. Well, here's what happened. 22 years later, or whatever it was, I realized Fred Klein had no idea what happened. He's the one that came in, got me to quit the job, didn't even know it, and went on with his life. So mm-hmm. I called his son, who I went to high school with two years ago. Okay. And I said, I need to thank your dad. Uh-huh. And he said, he goes, I don't think that was him. And I said, no, it was him. And I told him the story. He goes, yeah, that sounds like my dad. And he gives me his dad's phone number. I call Aww. him up and yeah, I call him up in Key West where he was, he's there four months out of the year. And we had this amazing conversation and I thanked him. And he said, Vincent, he goes, my mother always said, it's always better to give than receive, give than receive. And it always comes back to you even when you don't know it. So meaning when you do good stuff consistently, there's good things said about you. There's things are spread. People are talking about you in good ways. You don't even know what's happening. And he goes, everybody wants monetary compensation, right? You got to right, get paid. right. He said, I call that psychic compensation. Mm. And that's more valuable than monetary. And I was like, I'm writing about that in the book. So I I wrote that story in the book. So a week ago when the book launched, I went on a little book tour. Yeah. And I was hoping to meet up with you. It didn't work out. I know. That's okay. We'll do it again. (laughs) We'll do it again. It's not going to five year, five year plan. That's right. Well, I drove around and I messaged him and I said, hey, I want to say thank you in person. I want to give you a book. So while I'm leaving two days after the launch. So I said, I'll get down there in time. So I drove to Miami and then I met a friend and I drove three hours to Key West, met him for a two hour lunch. And then he said, well, what else are you doing here? And I said, nothing. He said, you drove all the way out here to meet me. And I said, absolutely. What would I not, why would I not do that after what you did for my life? I drove back home and it made me realize when I'm 80 years old, I want to live a life where somebody is willing to drive three hours just to say thank you for something that I did when I didn't even know I did anything. Mm, beautiful. You bring tears to my eyes, Vincent, because I completely agree yesterday. So I'm going to share a story that isn't yeah. about business. It's just about human connection, which is the wealth of your book, the wealth of connection, yeah. right? So back in the fall, some girls and I went, did a girl's trip to Cancun. We went to this excursion to see, in, what is it? Chinchen Itza, the okay. Mayan ruins. Uh-huh. And we're on the tour bus and we get off and we get split up into a group. So we have a tour guide and everybody is, there's a couple, a man, a husband and wife. And then there's a three S girls. And then there's a single guy. And I was like, okay, come on with us. Let's go to hang out with us, sit at our table for lunch. You're not going to sit by yourself. Are you traveling by yourself? Oh yeah. So then we kept talking and became friends on Instagram, blah, blah, blah. Well, I had actually, I knew that he was in the San Francisco area. And so I'm planning to go out in that area in the summer. And so I said, Hey, are you going to be around these dates? And he's like, no, I'll be here. And I said, well, I'll be there, but I probably won't be able to see you. And he's like, well, are you still in Florida or I, or are you in Florida? I am going to be in Orlando these dates. And I'm like, yes. He's like, I have season tickets to what is that? Universal studios. Okay. So come with me. And we'll hang out for the day. And I'm like, okay, literally we had one day of interaction and then became friends on, and then I got to go hang out with him the whole day in Orlando at Universal Studios. Amazing. It was so much fun. Yeah. Just like that, because we had built that connection. We had built that friendship 
And you're, it's so crucial that I think society doesn't even talk about no. why it's so important to connect with other people. It's the number one thing Brent Menswar talked about that they did a study about this and connection is what they said, what are the five attributes that you want better in your life? Half of the people said connection. Yeah. And I have a friend of mine or an, and she's bless her heart. She has eight children and I have zero. So I can't even relate, <laughs> but she's like, I want to feel more connected to my children. Mm. And I said, love them and hug them. And she's so terrified to even reach out and hug them and love them. And I was like, mm. you have a built in love machines and yeah. every single one of them, they're just waiting for you to open your arms. And there's nothing they want more than that. Exactly. So much, so much adult trauma comes from not getting attention yes. the way that we want from our during our childhood. Like, and I think 100%. a lot of it comes, a lot of it comes from, and I don't, I, I and we don't know enough of the story, but every time I hear that story, I always ask what was their childhood like? What yep. were their parents like? And every single time it comes from a lack in there. It's not like they meant to do it. Right. They were raised with a lack of it and they don't know how to do it. It's really sad. And it's really important for us to change this generational problem of this because our kids need it because they're going to wind up doing it to our grandkids. Right. If we don't do it right. Agreed. That's and frightening. I have always said, and especially now with my coaching clients is that our childhood experiences shape our adult decisions, totally. good or bad good or, or bad. indifferent, right? They just shape it. So what is it that you need to heal from your childhood that can sh shape a, a different decision? Totally. You know? I had it with my parents. I was angry with my parents for because I always felt like I didn't get the childhood that I wanted. Of course. Right. Yeah. And, but then and it's only been recently 10 years where I was like, my dad had a really rough go mm -hmm. at it with his mom. Sure. He, he kind of did the best that he, he knew how to do. And he didn't have internet dad's groups to join in 1975. Or right? even he books. Did the, they didn't even have books. books. It was like about one, parenting, maybe yeah. one half a book written about it. Right. There was no, <laughs> so he did the best that he could. And then once I realized that and I stopped being angry about it and started being appreciative of what he did do, literally our entire relationship changed and he didn't do anything to change. He's been the same. It was me that stopped being resentful and start being appreciative. And now we have an, an amazing relationship. But the problem is if he would have died 10 years ago, I would probably be angry with him for the rest of my life. Right. And that's really scary to think about. Right. Right. I completely agree. I changed the way I spoke to my dad only because I was in, I went to counseling and I was going through a breakup with an abusive boyfriend and I knew I had to change. I knew I had to figure this out. Part of the reasons I was in that relationship because it was familiar and I didn't realize how that the adult, I mean, my adult decisions have been shaped from the experiences I had from my family. So then the counselor's like, well, you have to love your dad like you want to be loved. And when I started to do that, my dad started to change. And that wasn't my intent. My intent was just to look, show up for me, not to show up for him to change. And he changed and he became my best friend in the last five years of his life. Wow. And he probably wanted that more than anything and could never get through to you. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And oh, wow. this brings tears to my eyes. After when he was in the hospital, the last, probably his last couple of days, although we didn't know it at the time, some friends of him, his came to the hospital and they took me aside and they said, every single day, every time we talked to him, he said, I don't know if I would be here today if it wasn't for my daughter. Wow. Oh my goodness. And I was like, he never said that to me. Yeah. Just you saying it is all that I need. Wow. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. 
huge. It's, it's huge. so this is all it's so important because the book is based around business, but it's the fun thing is the amount of responses that I'm getting. Like this is way deeper than. Oh, business. of course it is. It always you know. is. Yeah, it, <laughs> it always crosses over. That's why I help people get fired up about their life and their business because it's yeah. a crossover. Yes. There's a great, there's a great book that I read that I talked about in here. And it was a guy named John Kralik who was, he had an awful life. Like it was divorced twice, broke, next girlfriend broke up with him, didn't have a good relationship with his kids. Blah, blah, blah. He was a, a lawyer in LA and his ex-girlfriend sent him a, a thank you note, like a handwritten note around Christmas time. Just as like, it, it was a real sweet thing for her to do. And he was like, wow, that really mattered to me. And so he said, I'm going to, I'm going to start doing that. So we, mm-hmm. so on new year's day, his life was brutal. He decided to write out one thank you card a day. He wrote it out to the mailman. He wrote it out to the person at Starbucks every day, a different person to show gratefulness and appreciation for the change. And th- all of a sudden one person was like, Hey, I owed you money. They sent him money. His son started getting in touch with him again. He changed over 365 days, his entire life, his ent- yeah. all of his relationships, everything got better. Everybody started seeing him differently and he didn't do anything but write these notes. It was an amazing story that made me think as much as I love doing it, I'm not doing it enough. Am I thanking people enough? And that's what the thank you tour was. That's what Fred Klein was. Mm-hmm. We need to thank the people because we, we can take it so for granted. Somebody does 10 great things for you and the 11 things they don't like, we shut them out. Right, right. But are we appreciative of all the different things that they've done for us? It's I, I, so I think it's such an important message. Well, that's kind of how I started all this years ago was having a blog called 365 Days of Thankfulness. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, because and I did wasn't even thinking of what I was going to do eventually, but it was yeah. more about therapy for me. Like I just wow. need to start focusing on the negative, on the bad and start finding the thing to be thankful for. Totally. And that was what I would ask in every post is what is the one thing you could be thankful for? And then I became a coach and I'm like, my God, I'm now I'm literally asking that. And you still do that. I still do it. Thursdays. Yes, absolutely. Thankful it. Thursdays. And it's amazing to me because then it stops you in your tracks and goes, wait, yes. Instead of all this complaining, I yep. can find something, one thing, even if it's one thing, maybe it's multiple things, but sometimes it just takes that spark of the one thing to ignite all the other things that you can be thankful for. And the, the crazy thing about it too, it like I'm a problem finder. I just am. It's good for business, but it's not good for life when you can find problems <laughs> a lot, right? So my, I'm generally a positive person, but first thing in the morning, I am not. When I wake up, all of my anxiety is there, whatever sure. I have. But it, I was able to switch it this year with like, just what you said, instead of that stuff, what's going well? My wife's right yes. next to me. Yes. The kids are sleeping in their bed soundly. I get to do the work that I love. And immediately- I'm not thinking about those things anymore. Right. It, it switches. It, yes. And when I saw the physiology of how quickly that can shift by going to gratefulness as opposed to anxiety and stress, yes. it's like, well, if I could do it then, why can't we just continually? Not that there's not problems, but you see it in a different perspective and they don't matter as much. And they don't weigh you down as much. Well, and that's what I found when I started doing this work probably 13 years ago and talking with my hair clients is, are you even aware of what your inner thoughts are? Mm-hmm. Are they hurting you or are they helping you? Yeah. And most of the time people are on autopilot. They had no idea that they were even having this inner dialogue nope. of how it was negative. You did, you might not have realized until all of a sudden one day you're having anxiety in the morning. No, I just thought life was more stressful than it needed to be. Yeah. That's what I thought. I thought it was just what it was. I thought and then one music- day you were realized, oh wait, I don't have to have those. It wasn't that I realized it. it I had to say to myself, can I change the way that I think? 
Like I still thought yes, yes. the negative was the negative and it is, but it's amazing when you go to bed at night and you lay your head down and you stress and then you go, you think this is good. This is good. This is good. It's really your mind puts priority on what matters and didn't mean those problems didn't go away. They just didn't hold as much weight. I thought the same thing. I was like, okay, is there, how can I change this? Is it possible to change this? Have that inner negative dialogue constantly bombarding me, hurting me, or yep. can I change it to where this is actually going to propel me forward? Totally. So I love this. Well, Vincent, my gosh, <laughs> time has just flown by. And as you can wow. tell, we could talk for hours. <laughs> Anytime. But, and so that's why I'm so glad we're connected. And that we have a wealth of connections with each other and our community as well. Well, thank so, you for everything. I just want to thank you for everything that you do because you're such a value to our community. It was so great to finally meet in person, spend days together at a retreat. Yeah. You add so much light and joy into people's lives. And I just want to thank you for that. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Where can people connect with you? Where can they buy the book? What is this TLF community? All the things. Yeah, the website's totallifefreedom.com. Anything you want to find out about us is on there. I have a blog. I have a daily podcast called the Total Life Freedom Podcast, which is a ton of fun. The book you can find on Amazon. There's the link on our website and there's information about the community on there as well. So it's all at totallifefreedom.com. And is there a place if they wanted to send you a question, they could do that or do they connect? Yeah, if, if anybody wants to email, I'm a connector. Email me, vincent at totallifefreedom.com. I am not in some ivory tower having outsourcing my emails. I love it. So there's questions, just send them over to me. I love it. And uh, totallifefreedom.com. That's it. Okay. And before you go, I always like to leave with this question. So what phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? Ooh, that's a good one. That is, it, it changes by the moment. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I say right now. <laughs> right now, I'm going to go with the Ziegler line. That literally is what the book was based upon because it, it goes to this conversation, which is you'll get anything in life you want if you just help enough other people get what they want. And yes. That line is just, I didn't get it when I first heard it. It sounded like, like what even this message might sound to somebody who's struggling, like, really, I got to do stuff or I need stuff myself, right? I can't have time to help other people. It, one of the most true statements I've ever heard. And to be able to say that and carry on that into a new form as just an honor. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing your stories and your heart. And this is just such a, an honor to have you here. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to the Power of Investing in People podcast. If you like this episode, you probably even took some notes because Vincent dropped some major knowledge nuggets. He's just brilliant like that. Please go over to Apple Podcasts and give us an honest review and share this with a friend and check out the Wealth of Connection book on Amazon while you're at it. And until next time, let's get fired up. This podcast is a proud partner of the Heroes Media Group, Lima Charlie Network, and Global Sisterhood Podcast Network. Sponsored by Sparks of Fire International, where we get you fired up about your life and business, and Quest Education. What if you could use the money inside your retirement account, penalty and tax-free, and use that money to start your own dream business? Our friend Daniel Blue from Season 5, Episode 5 over at Quest Education is so kind to give you, our listeners, their How to Grow Your Money Tax-Free 
online course completely complimentary just for listening to today's show. We invite you to find out more about their generous opportunity at the link in the show notes. So just imagine the business you could start with your freed up money.